I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, we want to continue to let God speak to us through his word. You know, I was thinking about what we've been talking about, talking about living by faith. A lot of times when you preach something, you're faced with the reality of, do I really believe and do I really live this out? I don't know, if, I've never begun to preach something that I, I didn't agree with up here. But I've at times preached or, or, or began, you know, to think about preaching things that I knew I agreed with and I knew I knew, but I realized it's been a while since I fully believed. I fully put my weight on it. That didn't mean I didn't believe it, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't mean that I, I don't believe that anymore. I never would say that. I never would even think that. But I, I think all of us, as we follow Jesus, we realize that there are things that we take for granted. There's things that we just kind of live and, and, and keep walking, and, and maybe we don't believe to the level we once did. You think about the zeal you had when you were first born again. You feel, think about the zeal you had when you first experienced a, a touch from the presence of God. You were changed by it. You were marked by it. Probably you carry those marks to this day. They've affected who you are right now. And with that comes this, um, this belief and this knowledge that we are to be changed every day from glory to glory, that we're being transformed, that we're never to take for granted what God's done or what he's planted in our life. And, and I really believe that uh, whatever God has put in your heart, whatever revelation you've hung on to, it's got to be real to you every day. It can't just be something in your history. Because if it becomes just part of our history and we bring it up when we talk at Bible study, or we, you know, send a verse to a friend, I guarantee you every word that's in your heart will be tested. Every word that's really in your heart will be tested. Jesus told us that. He said every seed that's sown, Satan comes immediately to steal it. He, uh, even even the, the, the natural, uh, you know, affairs of life, even the affliction that comes from the enemy, all of these things will test the word in you because the word that's in you is very dangerous. It's very dangerous to the enemy. The word that's in you will get, where, 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 well, whew, boy, the word that's in you will eventually come out of my mouth. The word that's in you <laughs> will bear fruit. Yeah. And that fruit is dangerous because it, it's in that fruit not only that is, you know, fruit, fruit supplies and it satisfies and it, it, uh, it feeds us, but fruit is also full of seeds. And so what's dangerous about a fruitful Christian is that they multiply. That's one of the most dangerous things about a fruitful Christian is they multiply rapidly. And I will tell you, if you've noticed somebody whose life is sold out to Jesus, it's not long before they have three or four people that are affected by them. That's just the truth of the matter. If you notice that nobody's affected by your life, number one, A, a maybe you're just not connecting with anyone or, or, and, and you need to get out of your house and, and connect with people. Or B, maybe the fruitfulness in your life has hit stagnancy because you believe these things in your head, but they've no longer become a, a life-giving thing in your heart. And so when I talk about living by faith, I want you to know, I'm just going to tell you, that every time we go over these truths again, they, have, they become more and more alive to me. And there's been plenty of times that I, I, I look at this and I go, well, we've always said that. I've always thought that. I've always preached that. I've always, you know, we've always heard this and I believe it. But man, it's been a while since I prayed like that. You ever felt like that? Yeah, you ever been reminded, one of the great things about testimonies is it reminds you what you believe in practice. 
Well, one of the things I love about the New Testament is it's got theory, but it's got practice, right? You've got all these letters that are full of doctrine, good doctrine. But then you've got the Gospels and the book of Acts that show you how doctrine is lived out. Shows you the practical. Now, that's what's dangerous when you begin to believe that all of that passed away, that the, 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 the works in the Gospels and the works in the book of Acts are all passed away, then all you've got is doctrine that you can interpret any way you want. But when you believe that the Gospels are still good for today, and you believe the book of Acts, the same spirit that was in the book of Acts is working today, then when you believe that, then all of a sudden your doctrine comes alive because you're, it's not just something you think, it's something that you live. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, and, and, and we're going to, well, where are we going to start? This is a great question because I've got a few places we're going to go, and there's a few verses I'm just going to read to you rapidly. I want you to turn to Romans 4 with me. I was praying and, and, and thinking about the concept of receiving from God. What does it mean to receive? Because receiving is a big thing. It's an important part of living life following Jesus. If you did a word study throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts and just searched out the word receive, received, receive, receiving, if you just searched those out, you'd find a lot of instances of people being pretty aggressive with their faith. Temptation in modern Christianity is to treat receiving like it's a, a random act of God. Like if he wants you to have it, if he wants to do it in your life, it'll just happen. There's been some things that have happened in my life that I can go, boy, it was only by the mercy of God that that happened because I sure wasn't tuned in. But I will tell you, most of the things that God's ever done in my life, I had to at some point hang on to. I had some point to believe. I was thinking about, I know we don't think about this much in, in late February, but I was thinking about our, our friends in the football world and uh, what it means to receive the ball, what it means to receive. I mean, I made a mistake of asking you how many of, of you were fishermen the other day <laughs> instead of how many of you like to fish. <laughs> So <laughs> nobody raised their hand. I was really confused by that. So instead of asking you how many of you play football, I'm going to ask you how many of you watch it every now and then. And we've got a few in here. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you where your loyalties lie because that's just going to be an issue. That's just going to be division. We'll be divided among CFL teams, and then we'll be divided among CFL and NFL fans. We'll be divided, yeah, who knows? And those XFL fans, I don't know if they know Jesus or not, but they might come. They might eventually come. We've got friends. You guys know uh, uh, Pastor Kyle Horner has ministered here many times. and uh, they've, they've done a great work in, in connecting and, and reaching out and ministering to their local football team. They've got some of the, uh, I mean, I remember the Super Bowl season where the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. The story that, that wasn't getting as told as much in the national media was that they were having a revival in their team. Uh, players were getting baptized in hotel pools. There were, uh, I mean, if you saw the Super Bowl, you saw every player that they interviewed from the Eagles was like, I want to thank Jesus. Their coach was like, I want to thank Jesus Christ, my Lord. I mean, they, they were having, and that was not just a Grammy award, I'm going to throw this up to Jesus. That was reality. Like, they were having a real impact. And so there's been ministries in their church that have come out of, you know, they've got a food truck that feeds people for free all over Philadelphia. 
and that's primarily uh, funded by uh, Carson Wentz's Audience of One Foundation, which the audience of one is Jesus. And so, uh, you know, they've just had some great, um, God's given them an open door into that world, and, and, and Pastor Kyle specifically. Uh, but I, I got some cred uh, from some of my pastor friends here in town who, you know, you get some pastor cred, but there's a different kind of, there's pastor cred and then there's guy cred. And I, I, I got some guy cred when Zach Ertz, I don't know if you guys know Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is a tight end for the Eagles. He actually holds the record for uh, most receptions in the NFL by a tight end in a single season. So he's, he's a great player, great guy, sold out to Jesus. I got cred in Lloyd Minster when he put me in his Instagram story one time. That was my claim to fame, and I've never reached those heights again. <laughs> that was it. My five minutes are over. I'm over the hill. This is it. But he happened to be in a service where I was preaching. And, and, and so, you know, I, I came back, and I, I was talking to a friend here in town, and you know, he was jealous because he's, he's, a, he's a big Ertz fan. And we were talking about it. And he said, you know, one of the great things about Ertz is he's not the fastest guy on the field. And you don't usually make your tight end your fastest guy. But he's one of the strongest. He's strong. And so what he does so well is if you've ever watched, a wide receiver goes out and they, you know, they just try to get way over and try to get open. They find space. But a tight end doesn't need as much space. A tight end just needs to muscle their way through. Sometimes they're blocking. Sometimes they're getting the ball. One of the great things about Zach is he'll, I mean, he might have a guy hanging off his shoulder, but he will pull that ball in and he'll hang on to it. And I look at that and I see, boy, that's what faith looks like sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes we just think faith is the Hail Mary, you know, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but that, that massive throw where you found yourself radically open and the quarterback found you. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever seen, it's happened in a Disney movie once, but it's never happened in real life where a quarterback threw the ball at somebody's helmet and it just stuck. <laughs> right? But that's our idea of receiving, isn't it? That's our idea of receiving from God. God will throw the ball at me, tunk, it'll hit me in the head and I'll just have it. But you watch these guys, what they have to do, they have to reach out, they have to pull it in. God is the one throwing it. God is the one giving it. God is the one supplying it. But you have to be active in receiving. Receiving is not a passive act. It's not passive. You can't be passive about receiving from God. You have got to, in fact, one of the words that we see for receive in the Bible is actually the word to pull down. Yeah. To pull down. Can you imagine? And I, when I hear that word, I see, that, I see a guy like Zach reaching up and pulling down that ball, pulling it in and hanging on. Because often when you got all these guys hanging off you, you can't just say, well, I caught it. You know if you've ever watched a game that if you catch it and you get hit and you drop it right away, it's incomplete. Okay. Or if you hang on to it for a little bit longer and you drop it, then it's a fumble and that's even worse. And so there's something about catching it and there's also something about hanging on, not letting go. Now the question I want to ask you is when do you receive? Because most of us in our mind, receiving is something that will happen. But that's not what Jesus taught us. There is a part of receiving. Now, get me, get me here. There's, there's stages. There's, there's stages to your adoption, right? You were adopted in the family of God, but the Bible says there's another stage to your adoption. When we receive a new body, he says that's the fulfillment of our adoption. So there's stages of everything that happens in your walk with Christ. But, so there's stages to receiving. I get that there's, there's receiving and then there's seeing 
the fullness of what you've received. They're seeing the manifest, they're seeing it there in your hands. But I want you to know that Jesus taught us that receiving happens a lot quicker than we give him credit for. In fact, let's read in Mark 11. I'm going to read some verses to you, and I'm not going to give you a lot of time to turn, so I want you to listen more than, more than turn, all right? In Mark 11, chapter, yeah, Mark, chapter 11. <laughs> Mark 11, chapter 11. Mark eleven twenty two. he says this. He says, have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things, all things, not just one thing, but all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, and if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. You know, the, the greatest way to get yourself in trouble with other Christians is to quote Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is radical. Jesus is radical and Jesus is challenging. I could just preach this verse here and not add anything to it and it's already controversial. Yeah. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> it shouldn't be controversial to Christians, but it is. You'll get a lot of what ifs. You'll get a but, well, what about this? Okay, well, or we could just read the red letters and say that's what Jesus said, and let's believe it. Jesus didn't just say there's only one thing that you can believe for that you can be sure of, and that's your salvation. So when you pray to be saved, believe you've received it. If that's what he meant, that's what he would have said. But he said whatever in all things. So there's more than one thing that you've got to hang on to like this. Thank God for salvation. But if that's the only thing you can really have faith in, then a lot of the scripture doesn't make any sense. Does that make sense? <laughs> he says, all things for which you pray and ask. Believe that you've received them and they will be granted to you. Well, skip on to 1 John for me, with me for a minute. I want to read you something that John said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 5. He says, it's this verse 14. This is the confidence. You know confidence, right? You got to have confidence. John's the same guy that says we should be confident in the day of judgment. If you hear judgment day and get nervous, you're not as confident as you should be. Those that believe in what Jesus did, that makes you confident. He said, we have confidence. This is our confidence concerning it that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we asked from him. He doesn't say you know you have the requests when you see it. If that were the case, he wouldn't, have to he wouldn't have to tell you this. He says you've got to know it way before you see it. You've got to know it the moment you ask it. Now, he puts a qualifier on there, and I think that qualifier is important. The qualifier is this, if we ask anything according to his will. Jesus did not mean for you to go through life never knowing what his will was. There's times I don't know the will of God. You know what I do when I don't know the will of God? I ask. I pray in the Holy Spirit because Romans 8 says when we don't know how to pray. Notice that? 
When, when he says we don't know how to pray, he's not saying like, no one ever taught me how to pray. Paul's not saying when we don't know how to pray because we forgot our prayer book at home. He's saying when we don't know how to pray, in other words, I don't know what God's will is. If you don't know what God's will is, find out what God's will is. Look in the Bible. And if the Bible's not clear on his will, because there's some things that are not certainly clear, like the Bible doesn't have the name of your spouse written out in, in, in purple letters for you. Or maybe it does, but my translation doesn't. It, it does in the Passion Translation. Um, maybe not in this one. <laughs> so Romans 8 says, if you don't know that, well then pray in the Spirit, because the Spirit of God knows the will of God. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that nobody could know the will of God and what he has for you. By yourself, you, it would never even enter your heart, but the Spirit of God knows. And it says, we've received the Spirit from God. That we may know, that we may know. Saying I know the will of God, once again, is something that's going to get you shunned. How could you know the will of God? You know, the religious people in Jesus' day were most offended by his confidence in who he was in, in his father. His confidence in his relationship with God was the most threatening thing. When he said, when he implied he was the son of God, he didn't just imply it, he straight up said it. When he would say things like that, they would say, whoa, who are you to say that? Or who are you that you might forgive sins? Or who, who are you? Who gave you this authority? The crazy thing is, do you remember there was a blind guy that was healed? And he got called into court for getting healed? Can you imagine? Best day of your life, you got healed. You were blind, but now you see. and you, Well, now you have, to, you have to come into court. And the questions they ask, by which authority did you get healed? Like, there's a miracle, but we want to find out who gave you the right to be healed. <laughs> who said you could be healed? Now, most of us would say, if a miracle happened, let it happen. My goodness, God did this. But they're threatened by authority. Yeah. And so I, I'll tell you, to this day, the, the, a religious spirit is most threatened by someone who's confident in God. Right. That's right. Now, I've met very arrogant people, too that will tell God what his will is. And let me just say, you know that when you see it, don't you? Because the fruit of arrogance comes out. So let's not confuse confidence with arrogance. I want to just put that disclaimer here right now. I'm not telling you to be presumptuous. I, I, I grew up in a Christian youth group. You know, in a Christian youth group, you're always going to have somebody who's convinced that, uh, you know, it's God's will for me to be a rock star or it's God's will for me to marry that other girl over there. And that's fine. We all, you know, if you missed it, you missed it. But we've also had people that turned into stalkers <laughs> because they believed they knew who God wanted them to marry. And they, when the person said, no, I don't believe that's God, they said, oh, I believe it is. And so there has to be humility in this. We get his will from him. We don't tell him his will. We get it from his word. And if, you, if it's not clear in his word, it's by his spirit. So... John says that you should know if whatever you've asked for, if he hears you, you have it. And James goes on and says this. And I just, just turn to the book of James with me real quick. In chapter 1, James chapter 1, he's talking about wisdom. 
He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's the polite way of saying all of you lack wisdom. <laughs> I love how nice he is about it, right? Like, you know when you're at somebody's house and you're like, if you need a hand, just let me know. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously. Uh, Maybe go back to that someday and read it and say it again until you believe that, that God gives generously. That God is not trying to make you jump through a thousand hoops to get something. That he is a generous God. Very generous. He gives generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. So when I'm asking for wisdom, God wants to give me wisdom. It works out better for all of us if I'll receive wisdom. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Okay, that's the qualifier. Now, now you might say, well, he's talking about wisdom and nothing else. I, he is talking about wisdom here. But why, how can I not doubt that God wants to give me wisdom? Because he told me he has become wisdom from God for me. He told me he has wisdom for me. So I know when I ask for wisdom, I don't doubt it. I know it because it says it in his word. Well, if that's the case with wisdom, don't you know that's the case for a lot of things he said pretty clearly in his word? There's not just two things that he's talked about. There's a lot of things. As, as, as the Bible says, we don't want you to be, in, in the New Testament, it says we don't want to be aware of even things that accompany salvation. He says here that when I ask, I shouldn't doubt. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to be expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Listen, if I'm reading this correctly, if I go into this giving God the multiple choice on something he's made clear, on something he's made clear, he wants to give it to me, and I'm just like, God, if you want to give me wisdom, God, if you don't, God, if you, you know, and I'm, I'm waffling he says, you won't receive anything from God. And the truth is, you don't receive anything from God, then you blame God. You say, well, you must not have wanted to give me wisdom. That must not have been your will. You must want me to be stupid. I don't know what you want, but I guess you don't want that for me. But he says, the reason you haven't received, now I've said this before, but that's not the reason, like if, if you see someone that hasn't received something, you don't go ahead and assume this is why. But this may be a reason for you. If you keep going back and forth, not sure that it's God's will, he says you won't receive it from God. That's a guarantee. That's what it says in the word. So he says, for that man ought to not, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord because you are a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here's what that brings me to, and I'll, I'll just be straight with you. What that brings me to is how often am I single-minded in my prayer life? How often am I really convinced what God has for me? Because those three verses we just read, they're radical verses. And I don't know that you could read them a different way because they're pretty plain. When Jesus said, whatever you ask, believe you have received and you will have them. I don't know how to take that a different way. But believing that sets you up, doesn't it? Sets you up for a bit of a radical life that's going to make people uncomfortable. I believe that when it comes to salvation, salvation is the one thing we can all agree on. Because there's how many verses in the Bible assuring us of this is, this is God's plan for you for salvation. So let's just start there. Let's use that as our foundation block. When we believe, how, how do you know you're saved? Do you know you're saved because you feel saved? Or do you know you're saved because this is what the word of God says? 
And that's really where it comes down to. This is what the word of God says, and I trust him, and I put my faith in him. And because of what Jesus did, I know I can put my hope in Jesus. And the Bible says in 1 John, there's times even where my heart doesn't feel good, even when my heart condemns me. And he says, in these times, you've got to assure your heart. Can you imagine? He says, even your heart can be wrong. Even your heart can say, oh, you must, you must have fallen too far this time. Oh, you, you must have been too far from the grace of God. But he says, we must assure our heart before him, for God is greater than our heart. So God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your emotions. God is greater than your feelings. God is greater than your relatives. God is greater than the news. God is greater than your Facebook feed. God is greater. So we got to believe God. See, that's what, I, that's what we've got to preach. That's why we've got to preach it often because the world, the world is constantly grinding away at faith. The world as we know it is in collapse. It's in decay. That's what happens when the world is under the curse of the law of sin and death. It decays and the Bible says it will someday pass away. Entropy is taking place. You don't leave a car in a field and find it better 10 years later. It gets worse, right? That's the way of life. Our bodies don't get younger, they get older. The Bible says even though our body is getting older, our inner person is being renewed day by day. On the inside, we're experiencing death in reverse. We're getting younger and more alive. God is a young man. He's the ancient of days, but he's very young. It's weird that we see him as an old guy because we, we somehow think he aged to the age of 90 and then stopped or something. <laughs> if, he's been a lot, if, if he's been around forever, I guarantee he didn't pick an old decrepit body <laughs> or image. He can appear however he wants to. But he, so, so we've got to believe that this is what's happening. If I can believe that about salvation, then I've got to believe that about more than just salvation because the Bible is full of other promises beyond that. Salvation is a foundational, I, I have to start there, it's the beginning, it's the most important. But if I stop there, I think I'm falling short. I'm stopping short of the things that God wants to do through me and, and around me. This is important. Receiving is active. So if Jesus says, I've got to receive, believe I've received, why is it important that you believe that? Is it just to make you feel better? Is Jesus saying that so you won't bug him with your prayers so much? Like, I just don't want you to keep praying. I'm annoyed that you keep asking, so just believe you've received it. Or is he saying that because it's an important part of you grabbing onto it? Yeah. Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things you haven't seen. So faith is, is saying, I can't see it, but it's so real to me right now. I can't see it, but it's real. I have it. When I think about that tight end, one of the first things he's got to do is get open, get into the right position, get into space. And when we're talking about receiving from God, you've got to be in position to receive. Well, what puts me in position to receive? I'll tell you, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's God's word that puts you in a position to receive. I want to read you something from the book of Luke. I know I told you to turn to Romans and that'll come later. But in the book of Luke chapter 4, if any of you know Luke 4, you'll know this is the famous part of the Bible where Jesus announced, here's what I'm here to do. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now skip with me. This is where I want you to turn to today. 
Come down to verse 31. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, maybe you want to know, what was he teaching them on the Sabbath? My guess is it's something very similar to what he taught when he was in the other synagogue just previously. So here he is teaching this on the Sabbath. And it says in verse 32, and they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. In verse 33, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. In the synagogue? Yeah. Demons show up at church. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. I want you to hear this again. What is this message? That's important because it was the message that was preached that aggravated the demon. It was the message that was preached that set the stage for a miracle to happen. What is the message Jesus preaches everywhere he goes? The kingdom of God. And we see in the example in Luke chapter 4, he preaches, this is what I came to do, to kick demons out. This is what I came to do, heal blind people. This is what I came to do, release captives. This is what I came to do, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is what I came to do, preach the gospel to the poor. He announced what he was going to do, and then the miracles followed. So here's what happens. The demon, you know, is forced out, and the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Then he got up, and he left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. Man, that's something, eh? <laughs> she's dying. Five minutes later, she's healed, and she's like, can I get you snacks? We got, we got pizza bagels. What do you need? What do you boys need? Take a break, lady. But she's, you're in my house, right? It's that famous Middle Eastern hospitality. You're in my house. I'm going to feed you. And while the sun was setting, all those who had any, I love that, all those who had any, I mean like the village is stirred, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. And demons were coming out of many shouting, you are the son of God, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And then, of course, it goes on to talk about him going to a secluded place. But I want you to see what happened. When Jesus preached, word spread. When Jesus preached and said, I'm here to heal people. I'm here to deliver people. I'm here to save people. People who need healing and deliverance and salvation came. See, the word that he was preaching brought people to a position to receive. Right? It put them in the place to receive. You never see Jesus, I dare you to find it, you never see Jesus going and knocking on people's doors saying, uh, I want to heal you. I don't want to be healed. Well, that's too bad. I'm here. I want to heal you. <laughs> he never forced it on anyone. He preached and people came. He preached and people came. And then when the word spread about him, the things that were being spread was still the word of God. Even though it wasn't coming from Jesus, even though Jesus wasn't the one saying it, it was his word in the mouths of other people. So the word, the news about him, what was the news about him? He's the Messiah. He's the healer. He's all of these things. And when that spread, people came. 
I want you to see that when the word of God comes to you, it brings you to Jesus. Jesus said that. He said, if you would hear and you would see and understand, you'll turn and I'll heal you. So what the, Bible, what the word of God does is it turns us and brings us to Jesus. It brings us to a place of receiving. So today, what's going to happen for some of you is that when the, the word of God is preached, not even anything I put on it, just the word of God is preached, it'll bring you to a position where you're going like, that's for me. It's not just a physical position, though. The physical position is not near as important as the heart position. When that woman who had been having a hemorrhage for 12 years came to Jesus, the Bible says she heard about Jesus. What do you think she heard about Jesus? She heard what Jesus was saying about himself, but she heard it through other people. And they came to her house and told her, and no doctor had been able to help her. And she'd spent all her money on medicine, all her money on doctors, and not found a cure. So when she heard about Jesus... She broke all the laws that told her she had to stay inside because she was unclean. And she went through the crowd, extremely weakened because she's been bleeding for 12 years, crawling through the crowd, pushing her way through the crowd. The Bible says she pushed her way through the press, like going through a mosh pit to get to Jesus. And the guy standing next to Jesus is the ruler of the synagogue, the one guy who could get her in real trouble for coming out in public. And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. If I can touch him, I will be made whole. She doesn't say, maybe this is the Jesus Vegas moment. This is my shake a dice and throw it to the sky. She doesn't say, I'm picking my lottery numbers. What other shot do I have? She says, I will be made whole. And when she comes and touches Jesus, Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples look at him like he's crazy. And they say, everybody's touching you. And he says, no, I felt power go out of me. You see, there's a lot of people who are in the right place at the right time, but they're they're not expecting anything. Like a trailer hook that's bumping up against nothing. Like a ball on your your trailer just kind of bumping up against, sorry, like, like a ball on your truck just bumping up against the trailer. There needs to be a hitch. There's a lot of people touching Jesus. They're, they're in the physically the right place. How many people come to church? How many people come to a meeting? How many people come to a Bible study? How many people come and put themselves in a position where the presence of God is there? The anointing is there. But I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't force miracles on anyone. God doesn't force deliverance or salvation on anyone. You have to hear and believe. So when he says, who touched me? There's a difference between bumping up into Jesus and touching Jesus. That woman who touched Jesus was intentional about it. She wasn't hoping for God to just somehow see her and go, I feel sorry for you. She came on a mission. And Jesus told her something when she was healed. She thought she was in trouble. And he looked at her and said, woman, your faith made you whole. He didn't say, woman, you won the lottery. He didn't say, woman, God must like you today. He didn't say, woman, I don't know what happened. It was an accident, but be happy. He said, woman, your faith made the difference. Now, does anyone here think the woman healed herself? No. Do you think the power came from her just positive self-image? No. Do you think she somehow did some new age trick, the secret, and brought it in? No. The power was God through Jesus. 
But everything, including how you got saved, was a gift of God that had to be received yes. by faith. Yes. Right? Jesus, the Bible says Jesus died not just for us, but for the whole world. Yes. That's what the Bible says. Yes. I know my tulip friends say conditional salvation. <laughs> he, he only, conditional atonement, he only died for the people that are going to be saved. But actually the scripture says different. Yep. Right. It says he paid the price for everybody, Amen. but not everybody's saved. Right. right? It says that he died for us, not only for us, but for the whole world. First John says that. And yet not everyone is saved. Why? Because God giving it is not enough. You have to receive it. That woman received from God that day. I want you to read with me in Romans chapter 4. I want to tell you, believing God can be challenging it's rewarding, but can be challenging. Everything rewarding is also challenging. When the current is going the way of the world, trusting God will put you against the current, which has a lot of fish swimming the opposite direction looking at you like you're weird. This is the truth of the matter. So the, the current of the world is drawing you in a direction where you're the, you're the weirdo going the other way. When you're the weirdo going the other way, you have to prefer to please God than, than people. Yeah. It's easy enough when they're downright, blatant, unbelieving heathens. <laughs> and I say that in the most loving way because we were all downright, unbelieving heathens. It's hard when they're Christians. I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and a lot of them have things that I need to learn from them. I'm in no way thinking I've got something that, you know, and, and they, they need everything from me. Truth is, there's a lot of people in a lot of different churches that have something to teach me. Yeah. But we'll tell you, it's been very, it's very difficult when, when people that should believe don't believe. It can, be the, it can be the hardest thing for a Christian to stand with other Christians that don't believe. Right. And it was the challenge when Jesus was walking the earth. The people that gave him the most grief were not the pagans. Right. Were not the Gentiles. The people that gave him the most grief were people that thought they had a right to decide who could be healed and who couldn't. The people who challenged him on what he was allowed to believe and say. It was religion that challenged Jesus more than, more than even paganism. It's crazy, isn't it? So here's what I have to know. We can all be prone to that religion. You know, I, I could just get up here and point fingers at everyone else, but I really got to be honest with you. Religion is comfortable. When you were in the world, temptation looked like you going and getting drunk again. Temptation looked like you going and sleeping around. Temptation, I don't know what it looked like for you, but I meant it, it went to you going to obvious sin that we all feel comfortable calling sin. When you've been a believer long enough, most of the time the enemy will not tempt you with something that crazy. I don't believe Rhonda is tempted to just go shoot up crack. <laughs> right? When's the last time? Probably never. Never. I don't, think, I don't think she's ever in her life been tempted with that. But the more she's been sanctified, the less that's even a thought or anything like that. I use an extreme example just for fun. But what could Rhonda be tempted with? Rhonda could be tempted with the same thing that the people of God were tempted with, unbelief. The comfort of religion. 
The comfort of religion is keeping the structures that God once dwelled in, but kicking God out. Religion is a great structure that holds the ceiling up, but there's no life in it. Church can function without God. A church as an organization can function without God, but it'll be dead on the inside, and it'll cause more trouble than it'll help. Every one of us, I don't care if you're going to the right or the wrong church, every one of us can be prone to fall into the comfort of a religious structure that does not depend on God. Because the truth of the matter is your flesh doesn't want to depend on God. Your flesh wants to be self-sufficient. Your flesh does not want to have to have faith. Now your spirit loves it. That's why the Bible says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. So what do you got to do about that? You just got to put your spirit in charge. The flesh is a wonderful ox. It's a terrible driver. So your flesh is a great tool when it's under the, the, the influence and the authority of your spirit. If, if uh, Never mind, I'm going to go on. Romans chapter 4, because I got to get through this. Romans chapter 4 is talking about our salvation. He's talking about how we got saved and justified by faith, right? He's talking about people who are coming out of the law of the Old Testament and coming into justification by faith and grace. He says this, for it is by, and this is Romans 4, 16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. So grace works by faith. You grab onto grace by faith. Grace is what God gives. Faith is how I receive it. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that means not just to Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So even if you didn't descend from Abraham, you have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's talking to people that are Jew and Gentile alike. He says, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. When did God say that to Abraham? God said that to Abraham before he ever had any kids. He didn't say, someday I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. You have to understand, when God promises something, it's already real to him. It's already settled to him. And so that's why Jesus says, when you pray, you've got to believe you've got it, even before you see it. So he says this, okay. It says, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being, That which does not exist. How does God bring things that don't exist into being? He calls them. He speaks to them. Thank God. He is a creator. He is the creator. In hope against hope, he believed. What in the world does that mean? In hope against hope. It means he had a hope, that a a spiritual hope, a, a hope from God that went against what you could naturally hope. If you are an old man who's never been able to have kids, married to an old woman who's never been able to have kids, you couldn't have kids when you were in your 20s. You certainly can't have kids now when you're in the geriatric ward. He says here, (laughs) he had to believe, he had to have hope beyond what he had a right to have hope in. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become. Look at that. He believed so that he might become. Am I reading this wrong, or did his belief play a major part in the fact that he became a father of many nations? He didn't just become a father of many nations because God said it. That was the power. But he became a father of many nations because God said it, and he believed it. What did it mean for Abraham to believe? 
Guys, if you just think that all Abraham had to do was just in his heart go, yeah, that sounds good. I'll check back with you in 15 years. We'll see what's happened. No, Abraham, I mean, Abraham's name was Abram, Abram, which means exalted father. Now, that's hard enough when you don't have any kids. Walk around, your name's Big Daddy. Your desk has a world's number one dad on it. Everybody goes, you don't have any kids. I know, but it's what my dad named me, so. How hard would that be, walking around? Somehow God was at work when Abraham's, Abram's father named him exalted father. God was at work there. But can you imagine Abram walking around, the big prank he feels that's being pulled on him. He doesn't have any kids, yet he has to go, hi, my name's dad. <laughs> Hi, hungry, I'm dad, right? He's, he's walking around having to introduce himself as, as major father, great father. Then God says, I'm going to make you father of many nations. Here's what you need to do. Change your name. Can you imagine him going to his friends in the morning? Guys, I've, it's, it's just come to the point. I'm changing my name. Everyone's like, we were going to say. I'm glad because it was getting awkward calling you dad when you don't have any kids. So I think I know it's hard to, you finally admit it's not going to happen. What are you going to change it to? Funny you ask. I'm going to change it from major father to father of lots of kids. Okay. I feel like you're going the wrong direction here, Abram. Because I was with you. You had me in the first half, but... I feel like you're losing me here. So, so you don't have any kids. It's already weird calling you, calling you dad. Now you're going to say, I'm dad of lots of kids. We're going the wrong way here. And he goes, oh, no, this is what God said. Okay, well, maybe, and this is just wisdom talking, because you know us church people love to misuse the word wisdom, right? <laughs> wisdom would be... <laughs> wisdom is often code for unbelief, right? Wisdom... <laughs> Wisdom would say, why don't you wait until you have kids, then you can change the monograms on your golf clubs. Why don't you change, just until, before you change your social media handle, just wait till the kids come. Because if, you know what, buddy? This is what we'd all say. If it's God's will, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, shh. Just, just, you know what? Let it happen. Maybe that's something you need to keep to yourself. Abram's like, no, I'm changing my name. Change it in your, change it in your phone. Change it now. No, I want to watch you do it. Abraham. Put the ham in it. Put the ham in it. Keep the ham in it. You better put the ham in it. I'm going to know if the ham's not there. I know how long it takes you to type. That, you, no, you're typing five letters. Do you type the whole thing? You have to look people in the face. Listen, in order to gain approval from God, Hebrews 11 says, the men and women of old gained approval, by God, approval from God by their faith. In order to gain approval by God, you will often gain reproach of people. And if you want both, you're going to be double-minded all your life. Paul said in Galatians, I could not please people and be a bondservant of Christ at the same time. So would you rather have the, the approval of God or the, or, or, or the approval of people? Because you, you can't live life courting both. Once again, 
a letter to all my crazy friends. There's times I've missed it. There's times you've missed it. We have to be humble enough to let God clarify the things he said to us. So there's times where we say, oh, I'm pretty sure God told me that I'm supposed to do this. And you have to be humble enough to realize when he goes, I didn't say that, you misinterpreted. Because I know what we're all thinking here. Those of you that are older in the faith go, but I can think of five people who would take this message (laughs) and really misuse it. I know. (laughs) I know. But, you know, here's our big problem. If we don't preach what Jesus said because of people that are going to misuse it, there's nothing we can preach. Everything that God said can be abused. I would rather be on the side of believing him and sorting out the rest. Don't let the fakes drive you away from the real. Don't let the mistakes keep you from stepping out in faith. See, the big thing for me, and I want to be real with you today, the big thing for me is it's very easy for me rather than to put myself out there and believe something radical, big thing for me is to once again play the wisdom card and, and play the cautious card so that I don't bring reproach on the name of Jesus. But I, I think what God is pleased with are people that have very big expectations of him. I think what God is looking for are people that will trust him. And I think what God is looking for is like a parent with their kid. He wants you to start walking even if you fall down a couple times. He would rather you try to walk. You see, I let it paralyze me most of my life. I didn't want to do anything until I was really good at it. So I had a basketball hoop at home. And I didn't play basketball with my friends until I got real good at shooting at home. But you know what? I didn't have a golf course at home. So I never went golfing. Why? Because every time I went golfing, I stunk at it. Because I never went golfing. You see the circle? (laughs) So I never wanted to do anything. I I didn't take snowboarding lessons because I thought I could teach myself. Big mistake. So I taught myself, and I taught myself a ton of bad habits. And I finally took lessons and had all those habits fixed. Uh, But I went through life not wanting to be seen making mistakes. And that's a paralyzing way to go through life. I think God is pleased when you're willing to learn and trust and humble enough to admit when you're wrong, but keep stepping out. Let's read this last bit before we close. He says, here's what Abraham did, right? Hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. (laughs) Let's face facts, all right. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, that's something you contemplate quietly. (laughs) Yet with respect to the promise of God. Faith does not deny facts. Faith doesn't say that's not, I'm My body's not dead. Sarah's womb's not a problem. No, faith doesn't deny facts. Faith receives a greater fact. Maybe somebody taught you that you had to just lie to people. My arm's not broken. Yeah, it is. But 
that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the healer. There's giants in the land. Yeah, there are. But God is with us. Facts aren't the problem. The problem is you don't believe there's a fact bigger than those facts. The fact isn't your problem. You just, don't, you just believe the facts, those facts are bigger than the other fact that God is above all those things. So if you believe, here's what Abraham believed. He knew the facts. He looked at his own body. He said, there's no way I'm doing this. No way my wife can do this. God help her. <laughs> she, <laughs> the miracle is not just being able to have a baby. The miracle is like, she was an old lady who had to give birth to that baby. And, and Abraham's thinking about this but with respect to the promise of God. In light of the promise of God. See, the biggest thing in your life has got to be the promise of God. That's what's got to carry the day. He did not waver in unbelief. He didn't spend his life wondering, well, maybe this would be better. Now, listen, I said to you last week, it sure seems like he wavered, right? He made mistakes. But if you looked at the big picture, he still hung on to something. He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to perform. What was he assured of? If God promised it, he's able to do it. In verse 22, therefore it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham believes something. If God can raise people from the dead, he can do anything. Here's the truth, is that he had to believe something that made him look weird to his friends. He had to believe something that made him look crazy, and he had to call himself something that made him look like an idiot. And he had to do a lot of things that we would say, I just don't want to put myself out there like that. But he did it. Is he rather believe God? And it says here that and I just really want you to see this before we close. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I think many of us in this room today are okay with believing in an instant miracle. If I went to the front and someone prayed for me, I'm healed right away, that's easy because it happened right away, and there was no tension. There was no tension between the prayer and the manifestation of the prayer. So... The only faith it took was to bring your butt out of the seat into the front. Now, I realize that's still a lot, but that's all it took. Abraham had years, years of having to believe something he couldn't see. That's a lot of tension. Simeon had years of believing God, saying, God, you're going to see the salvation. And he got his answer days before he died. So that tension is uncomfortable. We don't like the tension, and we don't like to have to hang on to faith too long. We want faith to be the transitional phase. We don't want it to be the reality. And so Abraham didn't grow weak in faith, but grew strong. Here's the funny thing. Most of us would read that and go, how is that possible? The longer I have to wait for an answer, the harder it is to believe. Abraham, the longer he waited the stronger he got. So what's his secret sauce here, guys? What's he doing different? What can we learn from Abraham? I believe one of the keys is in that verse right there, giving glory to God. Abraham learned that when you believe you've received something, 
you say thank you. You talk about it. Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received it. What would you do if I gave you a check? Would you thank me? Or would you wait till it cleared? (laughs) Your answer will tell me everything I need to know about what you think about me. Right? If you think I'm a sleazebag, you wait. If you think I'm good for it, I'm a man of integrity who can be trusted and who has the ability to pay it, then you thank me the moment I give you a check because you know it'll clear. What do you think about God? Do you think he's just another version of these Greek and Roman gods that just does what he wants and can't really be trusted and, and might, you know, mess you over one day and like you the next? Or do you believe that God is infinitely good, always true, can't break his own word, could not deny himself, is faithful even when we're faithless? If you believe in that God and infinitely powerful, then the moment he says you have it, you say thank you. Jesus said, believe you received when you pray. I think one of the greatest things Abraham did to keep his faith going was he kept giving glory to God. When he didn't see it, when he didn't feel it, he said, I'm going to keep giving glory to God. And he kept taking steps towards that reality. He left his house and he started walking. And when he finally had his kid, God does the unthinkable. Says, give your kid, sacrifice your kid on an altar. Abraham says, no, I mean, like, I I can imagine his thought. This is the kid you gave me. He's supposed to be the one. Now you're asking me to kill my own son? He walks up the mountain, has his kid carrying the wood for the sacrifice. Has a knife in his belt. Now, before you shudder too much, know that God never was going to take Isaac's life. God knew the end from the beginning. But Abraham doesn't know all this. All he knows is God said, we sacrifice your son. And Abraham says something. He leaves his servant Eliezer halfway up the mountain. Eliezer says, you don't need me anymore. He says, stay there. But the boy and I will come back. Knowing he was going to put a knife in his own son, he said, the boy and I are coming back. And I imagine in Abraham's mind, he goes, I don't know how this is going to happen. God, you're going to raise him from the dead. God, I don't know what you're going to do. He didn't know that God was going to stop him and say, there's a sacrifice coming through the woods right now. Your son, get him off the altar. I took it as a sign of your belief. But Abraham said something that didn't seem real to him at the time. The boy and I are coming back. What are the statements you've made to yourself and to others in those moments where you feel your faith is being tested the most? What comes out of your mouth? What do you say? What's your reality? Abraham just kept giving glory to God. He changed his name, let people call him something that he didn't feel the right to be called. But he believed it. You know, Paul said, I am least qualified to be called an apostle, but I am what I am by the grace of God. You've got to believe God more than you believe your heart. You've got to believe God more than you believe your feelings. You've got to believe God more than you believe what you see. You've got to believe God.
There's a reason I got to preach this this morning. It's not just so you can fix your doctrine. It's because I want you to know that, 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 that we as believers have this already inside of us. But like I said, the world is trying to grind that out of you. And, and we need to be the ones that stir each other up again and say, believe like you once believed. And I know you're tired. And I know maybe there's part of you that's ashamed. And we maybe talk about that a little next week. But there is a, a whole bunch of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about hoping in God and not being put to shame. Being put to shame was, was saying, you know, I believed God and he didn't come through. And everybody looking at me saying, just like David says in the Psalms, where's your God now? Where's your God now? Like Jesus had to deal with on the cross. If God was for you, he would have taken you off the cross. You're going to have people that say, where's your faith now? Where's your belief now? I thought you said you prayed. I thought someone laid hands on you. I thought you, I thought you said this was going to happen. And you've got to choose to believe what God says above what anyone else says. And you've got to just keep giving glory to God. And you've got to say, I am convinced. Not that I will someday have it, but that I already have it. I, he has already made me the father of many. He he has already done this in me. He has already accomplished this in me. And so what I got to do is I reach up and I grab it and I hold it and I run with it. And I don't care how many people are trying to claw that ball out of my hands. You're not getting out of my hands because the God who put it in my hands knew that the strength I have is not mine but his. And as long as I'll hang on, no one can take it from me. No one can take God's promise from you. So I urge you, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Yeah. Don't lean on your understanding. Don't, don't waver. And I, I, then I want to say one more thing as we stand up today. One more thing. It says Abraham did not waver in unbelief. And yet we look back at his story and we go, well, he sure did. <laughs> <laughs> he, big time he wavered. Maybe you're being harder on you than God is. Maybe God's view is from a wider lens. Yeah. And maybe it's not about the individual mistakes. Maybe it's about the big picture. So if you felt like you've wavered, grab on again. Because I want to tell you, the fact that you're still here and the fact that God's still stirring means something. When Paul preached at Lystra and there was a man listening to his words, Paul stopped preaching halfway through. It says, for he saw that the man had faith to be made whole. Yeah. Then he said, stand up and be healed. That's the position that the word of God will bring you to. The yeah. word of God will bring you to a position to receive. It'll stand you up. Yeah. The word of God will bring you to a place where you're like, I'm here. It'll position you to receive. It'll put you open. It'll put you in the right place in the field where the ball's coming. So if the word of God has done that for you today, then you get open and you put your hands up and you receive it. Right? That's as simple as that. It's the word of God that'll position you. It's not the opinions of people. It's not even the need that positions you. It's God's word that will position you. If you'll believe it, things happen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray.